many relationships fall apart because of finances? How many career paths are we forced to take or can't take because of finances? You know, I don't think you'll find a doctor that will disagree with that financial stress doesn't contribute towards your physical and mental health. When you take control of this part of your life, you start to really feel better about yourself. And from that, that flow and effect improves those other components in our lives. Being mindful of money is, is spending mindfully. If you value luxurious shoes or cars or art or wine like that's your thing honor that because that's part of who you are in your value system i'm not i will never deprive someone of that just make sure it's balanced and you're doing it responsibly i want to stop that from happening i want people to realize how powerful they are how capable they are how strong and resilient they are when you realize that you actually realize actually i can do this i'm not as bad as i think because we so many people tell themselves oh i'm really bad with money i'm really I, i spend too much money they stop telling yourself that it's not going to help Start talking to yourself in a positive mindset way. Hello, friends. Lisa Gebilagan here, Deputy Editor of Women's Health Australia. Welcome to another episode of Women's Health Uninterrupted, where we chat to women doing brilliant things in the health and wellness space. Today's guest could help you improve your financial health. Think of her as the PT you need to get your bank account into shape. Or maybe she's like the financial yogi who'll help you become more mindful about your money. So you're wondering, why is this important? Well, what many of us just get on with, I'm talking about work stress combined with commuting and the financial pressures of keeping up with the high costs of living and paying off debt. Well, all this is actually costing us our health and happiness. Financial anxieties have hit a two-year high, according to the latest NAB Consumer Behaviour Survey, while the rate of Aussie household debt is among the highest in the world. Then there are many of us still trying to pay off our help debt, which is currently sitting at a national total of $44 And not great for our futures are estimates that when a woman retires at 60 to 64 years, she's expected to have $113,000 less super on average than a man of the same age. Not great, huh? That's why we brought in Kanna Campbell into Women's Health HQ today. Kanna is a financial planner and the author of a new book, Mindful Money. Cool fact. It was one of her clients, you may know YouTuber, Chloe Morello, who encouraged Kanna to start her own YouTube channel called Sugarmama.tv, which now has 118k subscribers. She makes vids encouraging women to find financial independence and practice what she calls money mindfulness. Welcome, Kanna. Thank you so much for coming into Women's Health HQ, especially as you just gave birth to a daughter <laughs> only four weeks ago. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yes, she's um, she's doing well. So, yeah, I wanted to make sure I made the effort and time to come and see you guys. Yeah, we really appreciate it. (laughs) So the mindfulness movement has been a big part of the health and wellness space for the past few years. Mm -hmm. And your new book is all about mindful money. Yeah. Can you tell me about the link between mindfulness and finances? Well, it's about us just money like literally falling between our fingers. How many times do we just mindlessly like swipe and tap and, you know, wave our mobile phones in front of an electronic device and we've just completely disconnected with money in our world and, you know, it's they're just numbers that have got nothing, no connection to us. But when you can just start being a bit more mindful with money, you create a huge shift where you dramatically improve your relationship with money for the better and you start being spending money on more consciously and start spending money in a way that's aligned to your value system, which contributes towards 
what I believe is is an improvement in your mental health and you start getting a sense of clarity and direction and and you start taking control of what you would like your financial situation to be in because I really feel that your financial well-being has a flow-on effect into so many other components of your life that contribute towards your overall happiness. So how many relationships fall apart because of finances? How many career paths are we forced to take or can't take because of finances? You know, I don't think you'll find a doctor that will disagree with that financial stress doesn't contribute towards your physical and mental health. You know, when you take control of this part of your life, which is really quite easy to do, and often it's the smallest, most simplest things, you start to really feel better about yourself. And from that, that flow and effect improves those other components in our lives. For you, when did you really see that link between mindfulness and then having that control of your money? That's a really interesting question. I've never been asked that before. Um, I think it's something that's slowly built up and over time. I was very fortunate in that my family were, particularly my father, was very wise with money and was a very powerful influence in my life when it came to money. And he always operated a great mindfulness of money. You know, he understood I wanted to go and spend and go shopping as a, you know, 18, 19 year old. But then he'd also say, look, you need to make sure you're putting some money aside. You know, you're putting some money into some investments as well and you're being responsible with your money. So I think it's something that was naturally built into me or imprinted as we like to use now. Um, and I've just slowly witnessed it because I'm actually a financial planner and I've been running my own practice for 14 or 15 years and I've really noticed that mindfulness with the clients of mine that are, are very successful financially and successfully in all the other components of their life. So it's something that's always been instilled in me but it's something I've witnessed and watched from the sidelines over a long period of time. Back to the influence your dad had on you. Mm. One of my favourite stories from your book <laughs> Was you talking about how you used to work at a pub and yes. then all the money that you would be getting for tips, you would keep in a jar. In my, yeah, in my bedside table. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And then when you finally banked that money, the bank teller was worried about where you were getting this money from and, to, and told yeah. your parents. I know. I know. And th- like, I used to live in Pimble. So small, like, community, yeah. you know, they knew all the people that regularly came in. My parents would bank there all the time, like every day. They'd deposit checks or, pay bills or whatever and um sort of old school so oh yeah I was hor- I was in so much trouble like I remember <laughs> I distinctly remember that point I was sitting upstairs in my bedroom right here this like like my dad come into the house and like yell out for me um and they it actually signaled it wasn't until I worked for a bank and I was telling someone the story they yeah. said hey, well yes that signals drug money or la- la- money laundering because it's small denomination uh-huh. so it was like f- lots of five and ten dollar notes and and so forth so <laughs> yeah that's how I started my first investment. Mm. Yeah, because it was at that moment your dad um, encouraged you to invest that money. Mm. Because it was sitting in my bedside table and he was furious. He was like, number one, if we get robbed, that money is gone. It's not insured. So that's just downright stupid. <laughs> um, and But more importantly, it's not earning any interest. You're, it's not growing in value. You're not earning any uh, any dividend yields from that. Like it's That is just stupid. So um, he took me to the bank and we deposited the money. He came with me so I didn't get like robbed on the way. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, the, as soon as it was went in, it went straight back out into my first investment. And that's when I got a few months later my first dividend check. Um, and it was actually a property trust that I invested in as, as my first investment. And I, I just remember thinking, what is this? Like, I don't understand. It was 
my first check. Yeah. And I took it to my dad and I was like, what, what's this check for? It's quite a bit of money, you know, like, and, um, he's like, what's your, it's the rental yield from the property trust being paid to you. It's like, but I didn't do anything for this money. Like, it's like, uh, it's passive income, can I? And I was like, well, what do I do with it? He's like, well, you can spend it. Obviously, you've got to deposit it. You could spend it. Or if you want, you could reinvest it and, and put it back into the investment and let it grow. And, and that was my big aha moment um, yeah. where I went, okay, well, imagine if I built this up over time, that could cover my living expenses. And I wouldn't have to work if I didn't want to. And I think at that stage of my life, I was studying full time and I actually had two jobs as well. So I was like, oh, that would be really nice not having to, you know, stand on my feet serving rum and cokes at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Coming home smelling oh, like cigarettes. Just back when you were allowed gum. to smoke. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and people would always spit their chewing gum into the glass jar. It was so disgusting. I'd stink. Oh. It was foul. Yeah. I used to work at a pub too when I was at uni. And oh. the same thing. It's just really unhygienic. Anyone's chewing gum in a bar, think about where you deposit your <laughs> dirty gum at the end. <laughs> but unlike you, I didn't have a dad who was so financially woke who told me <laughs> to invest my um, my tips. That's okay because you've got sugar mama now in yes. your life so and mindful money to refer to. So now you know what to do and you can easily make up for lost time. Okay. This is good to know because one thing I wanted to ask you. So your dad helped you with this in great financial advice at the mm-hmm. age of 18. What about for people who listen, who are listening now who are, you know, 27 or 37 or 77 and they're just thinking, you know what, it's too late. You've mentioned all these words like dividends. I don't know what they mean. Mm-hmm. How can I get started? It's never too late and it's never too early. There are all sorts of different things you can do to make up for lost time. And as long as you have time um, for, to receive the benefits of your investments, you've got the time to do this now. So, you know, I, in the book, I refer to case studies of people who are in their thirties, um, who are literally starting from scratch for a variety of different reasons, as well as young people. And what you put in is what you will get out. And there are, I explain different strategies in the book that can help you catch up and make up for lost time. And it's all about doing it in an efficient way. And also I show you how to, for example, save money on tax, how to save money on fees so that you um, also how you don't need to go necessarily go and pay a financial planner or advisor to do this. You can do this yourself. So all these little things really help. And when you are mindful with money, you find lots of different ways to not just spend as much money, but also you find ways to earn extra money as well. And these are all the things when you proactively put them towards your financial goals, that's when you can quickly make up for lost time. And I don't know if you're aware of the $1,000 project that I did. I am, but please um, explain it to okay. those listening who aren't familiar with it. <laughs> this proves how much you can, you can, you know, it's never too late. Okay. So when I, I just literally have gone through my divorce and... Um, how old were you at the time? I would have been about 34, I think. Um, and my second divorce, let me add in there, great taste in men. Um, <laughs> and um, I had, you know, my legal fees and I had also, you know, paid out my settlement to my ex-husband and and um, I was on a tight budget and because I had to this new mortgage that I'd taken on to make sure that Rocco and I stayed in the, in the family home. And I kept his routine. That was really important to me. And for those listening, Rocco is your and first son. My first son is yeah. six. At, and, um, and so I thought, you know what, I had started my YouTube channel about a couple of months beforehand. And I was like, okay, I wanted to create a challenge. I was like, how do I educate people and show people to use money in a mindful way, in a proactive way that really benefits them? And I thought, 
the only way I can show people is by leading by example, you know, mm. marching to the beat of my own drum and, and um, doing it myself because then I can prove to people. And I was on a really tight budget and I had no savings because that all went to my legal fees and, you know, paying my mortgage. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to try and find ways to hustle up money. And it can't come out of my salary, can't come out of my savings. So I created this thing called the $1,000 Project. And I decided I'll do all these different creative things to save money and earn extra money. And every time I have over, I've saved up over $1,000, I'll go and invest it. And I put this all out on YouTube. And, you know, if there's nothing more frightening than putting something out there for the big wide world to watch. And um, people were sort of watching what I was doing and seeing how I was saving money, what I was doing to earn extra money. And every time I had $1,000, I bought a parcel of industrial shares on the Australian Stock Exchange. And that creates a, a pays a dividend, which we call a dividend yield. And it basically, since starting this project, I have invested over $94,000. Oh, wow. And created a dividend stream of just under $5,000 a year. And round one, I saved and earned $32,000. And um, round two, I think I did $38,000. And it just, I'm up to, I've just finished round four, which was a small little, um, a very short window of time, which I think was about four or $5,000. But it's, it's amazing. And it's little things like, all right, so today I took my lunch to work. That saved me $10 or $15. So I proactively transfer that into a separate savings account. All right, today I, um, did some market research and I got $80 cash for doing that. On the weekend, I sold some things on that I didn't need in the house anymore on Gumtree and eBay and, Facebook buy, sell, swaps, and I got some more cash. And I just const- constantly um, and diligently put that money into account. And the moment it was hit $1,000, I immediately invested. So, And literally everything is tracked. And I even at the office, I'm like, when we look at the portfolio and then, and I have to get the girls to like triple check, I'm like, does this really add up to $94,000? And like we go through everything. We're like, yep. So if I can do it, everyone else can. And not a dollar came from my salary, not a dollar came from savings. So if I could do that with those strict limitations, imagine what you could do or, or anyone listening right now. And when you were going through that too and documenting the process, I love that you called it manifesting money, mm. finding different ways to get that money in, like you said. So yeah. you're not just confined to what you earn in mm. your salary yeah. job. This is one of the pet peeves I have with like the the, I guess, the frugal life because being frugal is actually coming from a place of scarcity. You're limited as to really how much money you can save. You can only scrimp and, and deprive yourself of a certain amount of money before you like hit sort of ground zero. Mm. And also it's not great for your energy levels when you're constantly depriving yourself of something. And it's not fun. No, it's not. It can be miserable. <laughs> and then also you run the danger of having a blowout and like going, oh, stuff this. I'm going to go and splurge and blow all my savings or worse, go and use my – dirty credit card. Exactly. And not that I think credit cards are dirty, but, um, you know, like if you're you're bad with credit cards, sometimes they are not right for you. But it's the same as like people going on really strict Strict diets. diets. Exactly exactly the same. But if you think of a way of going, stepping to a place of abundance and manifestation, you think, okay, well, what can I do to bring in some extra money? Because if you think about what you can bring in, it's limitless. And it's, and also you taking control as to what you're prepared to do to bring in extra money. So, I did things like I enrolled, enrolled in market research. I did um, surveys in market research online. I sold things on Gumtree and eBay, which was great because I'm a minimalist. Um, I, um, you know, had 
for example, I have like in my budget, I have an amount of money I'm allowed to spend on the weekend for like taking my son out and about or, you know, going to see a movie or going out for dinner with friends. And I shifted my, my community and said, okay, well, instead of us going to a restaurant where we've all got to pay a babysitter and, you know, we're going to be sitting in a loud restaurant paying, you know, marked up prices for wine, why don't you guys come up to my house? I'm going to order pizza. Um, you bring a bottle of wine, you bring a salad, yeah. bring all the kids and I'll get the dessert and the pizzas and everything else. And it was great because all of a sudden we were all having a really cheap budget-friendly night and that helped save money and the kids would wear each other out. It brought back the sense of community in my home again. Yeah. Um, and we were all able to save money. And Also, the one thing was in doing the $1,000 project and telling people, because occasionally I have to say, look, I'm, I'm not going to come to this movie or this you know concert or – I'm not going to go to that event. I'm really trying to be mindful with money and save. In me taking ownership and communicating that um, and stepping up, it actually then inspired other people. And the amount of people I had that came forward to me and went, you know what, you know what, I was thinking the same thing, but I was too embarrassed to say that I, I can't really afford it this month or I don't really want to spend that much money on that. I don't value that much. You created a really safe space for other people to jump on board. And, you know, I was – not that I intended for people to do the $1,000 project initially, but I invited people. But I was amazed at the amount of people that stepped on board with the $1,000 project. And they did it not just to save money, but they did it to help pay for IVF, to help pay for wedding costs, help put deposits together for their first home, to help pay for your education costs, like all sorts of like amazing, incredible things. And, you know, people have people have saved and invested and, um, you know, done all sorts of incredible things, way more than what I've done as well. But um, it's had a, a great effect and it's made people start looking at this component of their lives, just like we look at how fit we are or how healthy we are and and step up and, and make really healthy changes that feel good. Because when you first started this $1,000 project, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea was to see if you could make enough money passively to then buy a designer handbag. Yes. See, because I think that is great for people listening because you don't necessarily have to give up your act activewear budget, budget to, <laughs> to be more mindful about money. So to be really honest, I never intended on buying a handbag. So oh, it, was, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, because I was like, <laughs> who's going to like, listen to my boring crap? I need like, <laughs> I need like, I need to like, hook people in you and hooked them in then I know I'm bad um, no. <laughs> but things I love designer bags like yeah. that's my like weakness I've got one on the bag on the floor right now yeah. which isn't probably where it should be sitting but anyway <laughs> apparently it's bad energy to put your handbag on the floor really yeah Why? this Russian gypsy oh, someone, thank you so much <laughs> being picked up now this Russian gypsy um, said to me never ever put your handbag on the floor it's really bad energetically financially because you're like saying money is dirty and it belongs on the, oh. the ground yeah anyway um and yes, that was the marketing because sort of the catch behind it. Mm. But it, and the reason why I, I was never intending on buying a handbag is because I always knew I wanted to give the money to charity. Ah. And so my first round one of the thousand dollar project, um, I built a passive income stream of about sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars a year. And I always knew I was going to do this, and I gave the money to the Gidget Foundation, which is a charity organisation that supports women with postnatal depression and post traumatic stress syndrome. So. Um, and every year, every time I've done the thousand dollar project, the dividend income is always I've always donated the equivalent of what it is to a tra charity each year. That's so nice. So it wasn't. I'm not that bad. That I no, you're not like, terrible. <laughs> Designer handbags, <laughs> but I do like being mindful with money. Is is spending mindfully. If you value 
luxurious shoes or cars or art or wine. Like that's your thing. Mm. Honor that because that's part of who you are and your value system. I'm not. De- I will never deprive someone of that. Just make sure it's balanced and you're doing it responsibly and you do it. You know, if I go and buy a bag, it's because I've achieved all the things that I want to, not just my financial goals, but my personal goals as well. One thing that you mentioned quickly earlier is that you are a minimalist. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that there is quite a correlation between being minimalist and then also being able to mindfully mindfully spend. Yes. Can you explain that in more detail? I think it's weird because I've only just started to feel comfortable saying I'm a minimalist. I've always said I incorporate a minimalistic philosophy into my life because I was almost scared of taking ownership of it. But, Why? Um, I don't know because, I, I, you know, there's a lot of judgment with minimalism. Yeah. And when I put a video on YouTube about minimalism, there's always someone that puts this, like, nasty comment, like, you're not a minimalist. Who do you think you are? Like, that's not a capture award. Like, they're just, they're uh, just narky and get in there. Yeah. And, and I, being a hypersensitive person that I am, I'm like, well, if you look at other parts of my life, I am like, yeah. Um, yes, you can spend, and that's the thing is that's why my mantra is, and anyone can make this their own. I'm giving it away, mm-hmm. but is buy what you love, value, use, and appreciate. And it's about being a minimalist is about just getting rid of the excess, the excess stuff in your life that weighs you down, that distracts you, that creates noise in your head and your heart, and by incorporating this and leaning into it you don't need to like jump into minimalism but um you know it really does free you up and allows you to see um what's important to you and what you value and what's meaningful and what brings joy into your life and it's been one of the most powerful influences in my life and something that I'm incredibly grateful for so when did you first start incorporating minimalism in your life Another distinctive moment in my yeah. life. Um, so I got quite sick after my son. I really struggled emotionally mm. um, from a mental health perspective. And I remember sitting on the sofa in my kitchen and there was just so much baby stuff around. And, you know, as we just laughed, with your first baby, you buy all the things yeah. you're supposed to buy because that's what means you're going to be a good mother. And there was like just plastic crap everywhere and I just felt so incredibly drained and exhausted and like I was drowning and stuff and it didn't of course I felt like that because it wasn't seeing a line to my value system but I hadn't taken the time to understand my value system so I was living in this 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 disjointed place and I must have come across a minimalist video or a minimalist maybe the minimalist documentary and and um and just was like it was like a light switched on my head. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need. This is what, what I've been, this is what I'm struggling with at the moment, all this stuff. And so I think I slowly started decluttering like my certain parts of my home and, you know, eventually it infiltrated into my wardrobe and into other components in my life, my diet, um, the way I was spending money. Um, and it's just, I've never looked back. And I think it significantly contributed along with professional help and, and, uh, you know, great support from friends and family to me healing from it being in a really dark place. Yeah. Because a lot of the time too, there's that media pressure, society pressure, like you said, that where you have to buy all these things mm. to play the role of that perfect mum. Yes. How did you then separate that from who you are and be okay with it? I really try and come back to, you know, the the mother being the pillar of the family home. If you can take care of the mother, mm. you the flow and effect is normally everyone else can be okay. So, you know, 
there was all those things I was told I needed to have to be a good mother and I let them go and sold them or just gave them away or, you know, whatever it might be. And I realized I'm okay. I'm actually happier. And because I'm feeling happier and I'm feeling stronger, I'm feeling more resilient, that is benefiting my son because he can see me smiling more. He can see me Mm. coping more. Um, He can see me, you know, I'm a, a better influence and a better role model to him now. So, yeah, I just let go of all of that stuff and I've never been happier. So then how have you approached being a mum a second time around? Um, I have not needed to – I've saved so much money because I have not needed to buy <laughs> half the crap that yeah. you're told to. Um, and, of course, there are some things you do need because of convenience and necessity. Um, and sometimes you're just interested in trying things and buying things and there's nothing wrong with that at all. So, um, you know, my daughter doesn't even have her own bedroom. But, you know, it's, it's actually nicer because we only have what we need Yeah, and there's space and, you know, my – um, my daughter sleeps, you know, pretty much in the bed with my partner and I and my son. So it, it's a much cl- tighter knit, more meaningful, deeper, happier family unit. It's similar to what you were saying about getting all your friends over um, for a pizza rather than all going out. It's mm. really creating that strong community. Exactly. And, you know, in a world where we are, we can very easily become very lonely, you know, mm. by looking at screens all day, by being inside all the time. Um you know, the all these sort of keeping up with the Joneses or seeing this filtered life that's not the truth on social media, you know, it, it can dramatically impact our headspace if we don't take care of it and be careful as to who and how we expose ourselves to those things and can look at something for what it really is. Exactly. So one thing that keeps coming up, it seems that mindset is a huge part of this. Mm. How can people start um, – training their mindset so that they are more o- open to look, viewing money in a different way. This is probably what makes – well, hopefully makes my book, Mindful Money, really different to all the other finance books out there. And by no means am I saying this is the best one. And But it is the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can say it because you've read it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but um, it's – you know, it's like me saying to you, you've got to go on a diet, you've got to go and learn how to run a marathon. Unless you are genuinely connected to wanting to run a marathon, it's going to be the most meaningless, soulless, boring, dull, depressing experience. When you look at your your mindset first and look at, all right, why am I doing this? What's important? What are the things I'm going to gain? How is this going to help me? That's when you start feeling really connected and committed and motivated and inspired to make this shift happen, to make those changes happen, to achieve those goals, to save that money, to to be okay with saying, no, I'm not going to buy that because it's going to mean I have more savings in my account, which means I can buy my first home sooner or I can finally pay off that credit card debt, debt earlier, whatever it might be. So it's like planting a seed in your head. If if you're going to plant, um, you're going to grow a big oak tree, you need to plant it in fertile soil with the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of rain. Um, You've got to protect it from the elements and and pests and toxins and all those sorts of things. So that's your mindset I'm talking about, like planting it in fertile soil. So in the book, I get people to do all sorts of different exercises where they have to understand their value system, what's important to you. And there's no wrong or right. And Mm. what you might value more, it might be different to what I value more, and that's perfectly fine. So for me, I really value freedom. I really value being you know, independent, not knowing I'm ever going to rely on a, another a human being or the government, um, you know, or, or organization or a community. I can stand strong within my own skin, within my own 
skin or feet, whatever. Sorry, one of those things. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. Um, you can just stand strong. Stand strong. Yeah. That's, it. that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. My baby brain is really <laughs> bad today. Um, so it's, yeah, it's about um, really looking looking at um, and understanding your deep, the way you operate, the way you think, and also getting rid of any negative um, messages that have been imprinted to you as a child because they can also hold people back and they can also create self-sabotaging habits. Mm. I want to stop that from happening. I want people to realize how powerful they are, how capable they are, how strong and resilient they are. And things, little things like I get people to write down in the book, um, you know, your 10 most proud financial moments. And even if it's paying back someone $20 that you've been meaning to pay back to that person, Write that down because you felt good. Oh, finally paid that person back. That feels good. Yeah. Or yes, I finally did my budget. That feels good. Yes, I finally called my superannuation account provider and got my superannuation account balance and, you know, or consolidated on my super. Those are all proud moments. When you realize that, you actually realize, actually, I can do this. I'm not as bad as I think. Because we, so many people tell themselves, oh, I'm really bad with money. Oh, I'm really, I, I spend too much money. They stop telling yourself that is not going to help. Start talking to yourself in a positive mindset way yeah. and in a proactive way and in, in an honest place of self-love and kindness. So I am curious, mm-hmm. what are five of your top money moments then that you're proud of? Um, I'm going to sound bad, but I'm going to say get, like getting divorced. Like that was um, a really good move for me. Um, it took a lot of strength to do that um, and I'm not bad-mouthing my ex-partner in any any way possible, but do, realizing, wow, I can do this and I can stand on my own two feet. Yeah. And, you know, that was a really proud moment, moment for me and recovering from that, rebuilding myself from that because that, that was, you know, really tough for me to do, not just emotionally but financially as well. I took on a huge risk, but I, I you know, could have very easily sunk, but I didn't. I paddled my little heart out yeah. and survived and I'm standing here today and stronger and wiser and smarter. So that would definitely be probably my big, biggest, you know, proudest financial moment. Um, I think the second would be doing the $1,000 project. You know, I look at that and go, $94,000, and the portfolio is worth a lot more than that now. I, like that is incredible amount of money and that I have, you know, sacrificed, worked my heart off, being committed, being disciplined. And also that was very scary putting it out there on social media and on YouTube land, like about what I was doing. And, you know, I get all sorts of comments about, you know, about it. So that would probably be my third. And then, um, you know, I even had someone, a commenter in the Daily Mail, try and say that I earned that money by being a high-class hooker. Like, I know. I was like, I read the comment. I was like, really? I did, you know, not that there's anything wrong with it. Like, it's a good, another idea for the $1,000 project. Technically, <laughs> but I was like, people would, would really try and pull me down by yeah. the $1,000 project or even say it's not true. I was, I've made it up. Mm. It's all a big lie. Like, so I was like, no, I did that. And I documented every single thing and you can see every single transaction. And yeah. Um, so that would be, yeah, another one. So there's, there's my three most proud moments. So segue. Mm-hmm. How is it that you're able to stay quite strong in this social media landscape mm-hmm. when you did mention that you are quite highly sensitive as well? Yeah. I have um, a really good support network of people around me and um, when so when someone makes a nasty comment or questions my um, integrity – you know, I can't, part of me does crumble inside and get insecure and self-conscious, but I will go to those people and we'll, we'll process it. We'll go through it and, and put it back into perspective 
and um, and I'll bounce it off the people that I work with to make sure I'm um, staying grounded and it's, is this something I need to um, listen to and take it seriously or is, is this a warning or a sign or is this something just noise, garbage and needs to be literally deleted from my head? And I yeah. love that that question, how am I going to feel about this in three months' time or three years' time? And it immediately puts things back into perspective and, and I also pay that forward. So when that person then comes to me and says, oh, someone said this to me or someone wrote me this nasty text message or wrote this comment on my Instagram account, I'll then give that back and give them back their their um you know the right advice and you know I love that if you don't ha- if you don't have someone to lean on support mm-hmm. is what would you say to your best friend and then you've got to say that back to yourself because you'd obviously tell your best friend hey don't worry about it that person is probably they're sitting behind the you know a screen and you don't know anything about them and you don't even know if they have the the right um or even the right knowledge about you to even make that comment and yeah yeah so it is hard I'm not going to lie there are moments where I get really insecure and funny about it and you know I do some at times suffer from anxiety Mm. from certain components in my life but yeah I try and then just get on with it yeah and go back to at the end of the day I'm passionate about what I do and I'm helping more people than the people that are making nasty comments yeah exactly and if you're a genuinely happy person you don't even think about those comments let alone go and type it on a keyboard I know I can't imagine what um, these people must be going through to do that yeah, I know. I'm going to feel sorry for them, I guess. I guess. Um, so with your $1,000 project, what that helped me realize was that you don't need a big bulk of money to start investing. Yes. And I think that's a misconception that a lot of people have. Mm. So could you tell me what is the minimum that you could start investing with? Well, you can buy shares with as little as $500. Oh, mm. that's even smaller than I thought. Yeah, I would... <laughs> Like general advice disclaimer, because I'm a licensed financial planner, I wouldn't recommend less than a th- than a thousand to be honest, and that's why the thousand dollar project was perfect. Because to me, a thousand dollars is a lot of money, but it wasn't enough money to make me feel intimidated or scared. It's not like I was like, I'm going to save a hundred thousand dollars because it'd be too slow, too long, too boring, and I'd you know lose momentum. But a thousand dollars is because you normally brokerage is around. You can get it for as little as eight dollars or up to twenty five, thirty dollars. But um, I think I pay $18 brokerage through the platform I use. But um, it's enough. You've got to factor in that. So almost like an entry fee brokerage to buy those shares. Yeah. So if you're buying shares with $500, it does eat into that capital just from the brokerage alone, whereas $1,000 is, is a nice amount of money where it doesn't – as a percentage, it doesn't cost as much because brokerage is a flat dollar fee for most online platforms. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, good. <laughs> it's good too because it's all about breaking those big goals into smaller goals, just yeah. like you would if you had some big fitness challenge that you wanted to take mm. on. Yeah. And I found too that what helped me with money because I actually was really bad with money before. I like that you said you were. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But you are now getting, pretty good. So, getting really good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. See, that's that's the, that's the positive <laughs> self-talk I'm talking about. Well, for me, I had a moment, I remember, because I was in a lot of debt, thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of dollars in debt, because I had the bright of idea of starting a magazine on the side yeah. while I was working a full-time job okay. and putting all my money into the printing costs of this magazine because I didn't know how to sell advertising. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was a lot of debt. Okay. And I remember sitting in the kitchen of my where I was living at the time, just wishing I could just start over mm-hmm. and just wipe it, wipe that debt clear yeah. 
and not have to deal with how shit I was feeling at the time. Yeah. And then it just occurred to me, I'm like, hang on, I'm still quite young. Mm-hmm. This could be me starting over doing it now. And yeah. then from there, I started learning more about how to get my finances into shape and then yeah. paying that off and then starting to save money. And it was good. And I thought, I was thinking it's kind of similar to say when you go, go, go to the gym for the first time, mm. you don't see the progress necessarily straight away. Yeah. Yeah. But then months later, you're like, I am so much stronger than I used to be. You have these like little aha moments along yeah. the way and you're like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm getting, I can run that extra kilometer. I can bench press that extra weight. You know, like you start, you start seeing like little signs along the way, like little cheerleading, like hang in there, you're getting there, you're doing it. And as I say, like progress fuels motivation to keep going. Exactly. And I just want people listening to know it's the same with finances mm. as it is with a health or fitness goal. So if anyone that's in debt, what I recommend you do so that you can see that progress um, is you document it. So say, for example, you're in $10,000 with a credit card debt. So you, you get a piece of paper and you write down today's date and $10,000. And then every time you add money to that debt is and you make an extra repayment, you write down the date and you track, write that new number. So say you sell something online and you get $200. So then you'd write the next date and it would be 9800 So you can see, okay, all right, it's, it's down. It's down $200. I'm getting there. What's the next thing I can do to help bring it down further? So you can see that progress and know that it's coming down. And also you can see how quickly it's coming down and you're, you're monitoring. And the same with when it comes mm. to saving money and investing money, watching your savings build, watching your investments build, because you start to see how much you've really achieved. And you look back and go, wow, only three months ago I, I only had this much money, but look how much money I've got now. It's it's a good feeling and it means you're more likely to stay committed and, de- and dedicated to this journey. Yeah, it's kind of like how or why Fitbit trackers yes. work so well. Mm. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and you want to kind of beat it. It becomes almost like a game. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> so if there was one thing that you could leave people with today that they could do today mm-hmm. to make that difference, what would it be? It would be to allow yourself to experience the many benefits of taking control of your life financially, to allow yourself to have financial stability, independence and success in your life because you are definitely worthy of it and perfectly capable of achieving it. Mm. And like you said earlier, it's so linked to health as well. Mm, Huge. Especially when it comes to stress. Mm. Yeah. And it's just that sense of control and, and and sense of direction and clarity makes a huge difference. So what's one practical thing that they can do now? So much is a habit system. So I recommend the day you get paid, so say for example you get paid on a Thursday night, it comes in overnight, Friday morning you would wake up and do your banking. So you would transfer your money to your everyday account, transfer your money to your savings account or your financial goal account, but have a habit system where at the moment you get paid you you organize your money so that you know how much money you've got and you've prioritized your goals, but you've also got your money in your account to live off for the remainder of the pay cycle. And make sure that that, that money in that account is aligned to your budget and you include sanity money in there. So Sanity you know, money. Yeah. So, you know, for example, you allow yourself to, to buy a new top or you allow yourself to go to, to that restaurant you've been wanting to try for a while, like it's, I'm not about depriving yourself. I'm about living life that's a meaningful life and a mindful life. And that includes the designer handbags, the, <laughs> you know, ex, you know, special restaurants. It's about experiences, really. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. 
I hope you enjoyed that money chat with Kanna as much as I did and that you feel motivated to get your finances into shape. If you did, we'd be stoked if you could leave a review or subscribe. And if you'd love more from us, pick up the latest copy of Women's Health magazine or visit womenshealth.com.au. See you next time. The information provided in this podcast has been provided as general advice only. We've not considered your financial circumstances, needs or objectives and you should seek the assistance of your Financial Advice Matters advisor before you make any decision regarding any products mentioned in this communication. If you feel affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, help is available. Call Lifeline on 13 11 14 as well as beyondblue.org.au or call one three hundred double two four six three six.